The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to this live Q&A around the planet. Uh, as you can tell by now, it is not the great prophet Mark Stein who is hosting today. It's uh, me, your uppity in-house Jewish mother. It's Laura Rosen Cohen coming at you from Southern Ontario, from my perch in my home. And uh, we have a little list of things to discuss before we get going on your questions. Um, first of all, I want to welcome everybody who's listening. It is Friday, July the 7th, a beautiful sunny day where I am sitting and I hope an equally lovely day for all the Mark Stein cruisers that have set sail. It is very exciting. So glad that that was uh, able to happen this year. There were a couple false starts during the COVID tyranny, but I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. So wishing everybody who is already on board, I think they're probably uh, sailing right at the moment. So bon voyage, um, hoping that it is a fantastic time. I'm sure it will be. There's so many great people, so many great guests and Mark Stein club members on board. It's going to be fantastic. And just hoping that uh, our great host, Mark Stein, is feeling a little bit better than what he has been going through, um, obviously, since uh, the heart attacks and ongoing issues, as uh, we noted uh, in Laura's links, and also that Mark described with the blood transfusion fiascos. We'll, we'll get a little bit into health issues um, and some of your questions as the hour progresses. So we have a long list of interesting questions to deal with. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, I am with you for the next hour. And um, what do we want to start with? I guess I can tell you that I'm, I'm actually not as rushed this afternoon with the days being longer um, for us Jews, the Jews, uh, candle lighting. The Sabbath starts not until quite late, candle lighting at uh, 8 something, 8.40 even. So uh, we've got... A little bit of a buffer and um, actually this week's Torah portion is is a good one I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it it's Pinchas Phineas not of Phineas and Ferb that weird cartoon but the actual Pinchas uh, Phineas son of El Azar son of Aaron the priest uh, and all his goings-on with the taking care of well, he was described, obviously, as quite zealous and taking care of people, taking care of business. Um, so if you guys know the story, um, Pinchas uh, took action against uh, some people doing the wrong thing. And um, <laughs> he took a lot of action. And anyways, he was uh, not necessarily, um, you know, reprimanded. He was actually recognized uh, by God for taking that action. And that's why his name is actually a little bit long. 
son of Eleazar, son of Aaron. So it's it's meant to remind you that um, he actually he he took the proper action under those circumstances. Um, if anybody else wants to talk about this week's Torah portion, obviously you can leave some comments there. The other thing that I was reading about earlier, just um, on the Jewy front, is uh, a little bit about the Ten Commandments, and I was reminded by something uh, that somebody wrote earlier. We had talked, I think you guys remember the last time that I was here hosting uh, in the hot seat that we were talking about the importance of individuals and individual rights and individual actions. Um, it really is so important. And I was just rereading something about the Ten Commandments. And if you'll notice um, that the Ten Commandments, if you look at them in the Hebrew, it is in um, second person singular. So it's not a group exhortation. All of the Ten Commandments are meant to be looked at as commandments for each of us, moral guidance from God, you know, uh, on an individual level. So I thought that was kind of a nice tie in. Um, we can go a little more biblical later if you guys want. Um, and we're actually here this afternoon to talk about whatever you guys want. Um, Mark Stein Club members have thrown in some questions already from all over the place. So we are going to get to that right now. Uh, let us see. First, we have a question from Matt from upstate New York. And Matt says, you said the experience Mark had in Vermont had your blood boiling and talked about the socialist healthcare system in Canada. I had cross-border experience with the healthcare system as well. My mother returned to Canada and spent her last 15 years or so in two Canadian nursing homes in Montreal. She had dementia of some sort. They never figured out what. Once she got into the pneumonia, the doctor called me and said she needed a week in the hospital, but it was not a good use of financial or medical resources at her age and condition to give her the full week. So they were going to give her two days in the hospital, send her back to the nursing home with meds and hope for the best. She made it and lived several more years, but I had never heard a doctor speak so starkly about finances. Is that the kind of financial juggling by doctors common there? Um, Matt, that's that's a it's an awful story. Um, it's it's not unusual, and I think part of the problem is is that the way that people have bought into a lot of this as being normal and not questionable is is because they've uh, hijacked the language. So I've pointed out on different occasions that in Canada, people think that wait times, quote unquote, a wait time, is like a perfectly normal and natural thing. But actually, it's not normal, and it's the result of there being not enough resources. So, you know, years ago, Sarah Palin was raked over the coals when she talked about death panels in Canada. I think she was specifically referring to Canada. But the reason that she got so brutally raked over the coals is because she was telling the truth, that ultimately these decisions, when there's resources, finite resources, and huge demands on, on the healthcare system and on other social services that can't be accommodated, and then there's wait times, people don't want to hear that that's rationed care and that it's other humans who are making decisions about your body, the bodies of your loved ones, the bodies of your children, the health. They're, they're bureaucrats. It's not always or even frequently the doctors. They're, they're dealing with limited resources. And um, it's, it is really frightening to experience it and to try to finagle your way around the system. So the story that you've told me is not um, unusual. There's a lot of horror stories. It was particularly awful during COVID as well. Um, so we have this socialist system. It's really a sacred cow here in Canada. 
And although it, it is interesting, there are certain things that are private here. Like dentistry is completely private. Um, nobody, of course, ever complains about having wait times for their dental stuff. And um, lab work is completely privatized. Like the government gets all the bills for lab work, but it's administered by various private companies. Um, there's a private hernia company, uh, not company hospital here as well. So, and then there's all this other network and I don't know too much about it, so I don't want to go into it too much, but it's, um, uh, workers compensation. There's some kind of fancy hospital thing. If you're injured on the job, maybe some of our Canadian commenters, anybody who's had some experience with that, um, can jump in. So yeah, financial juggling by doctors, I guess the the doctors who do that are like heads of department and then they're heavily into the bureaucracy. So it's pretty gruesome. And yes, it was horrifying to hear of what Mark went through. And especially because of how he described that he has plenty of insurance, but it really did remind me of the Soviet Union where you could have like plenty of rubles and, and no place to buy anything unless you were like one of the communist fat cats with the communist party stores. And I never thought that I would be hearing such similarly punitive, you know, ghoulish things coming out of America. And that's really heartbreaking. Uh, if anybody else obviously wants to jump in on the healthcare stuff, I'm sure everybody has an opinion. And um, yeah, I think I think that the blend of private and public is still probably the best case scenario for most countries. But in a country like America, you have such a huge population. It, there's really There's really nothing that it can be compared to. So thank you, Matt, for that question. I'm going to scroll down now and we have, we have something, oh, this is still on healthcare. So maybe we'll just, we'll take that <clears throat> uh, from KD. Laura, Mark's experience with Canadian healthcare uh, is horrifying, but alas, not surprising. Even some less crazy liberal friends told me that they could see some of their compatriots doing that. They view conservatives as less than human. Have you run into this in Canada? So yeah, it was the blood, um, the, the refusal of the blood transfusion was actually um, at the University of Vermont um, Health Center in in America. And I think Mark's relief was in Canada. But yes, I I've, have frequently run into really horrible um, ration care situations um, here in Canada. Uh, lots of navigating because as you guys know, I have a special needs son who cannot manage any of his anything by himself so I'm constantly um having to be his um his person for everything concerned with health and um there's a lot of dismissive attitudes towards the disabled in the healthcare system and even more so I think when there's a socialized system you know um the the German the Nazi um idea of lives not worth living it, it does permeate a lot of things uh here as it does in other countries in Europe um, and in Canada, it's become much more stark recently, the idea of lives not worth living and the parameters are being ever more expanded. Um, I actually think I was thinking about it before with all the, um, you know, the quote, safe spaces for drugs and safe, um, safe injection sites and all that sort of thing. It, it actually does seem to me a, an extension and, and it would be a logical quote unquote extension for the government to to its euthanasia program. I mean, it's like an even cheaper way to to get rid of a populace that you think is leading a meaningless life. Um, it's all very scary and it's it's all very dark. So uh, thank you for that question, even though it's depressing. And we are going to see if there's uh, any other topics brewing around. I see George has a uh, George Pereira 
has a question about health as well. So George, I think we're going to circle back to that because it's just so ghastly. So bear with me and we will get to that soon. Um, we are going to scroll. We've got Eric Dale. Hello, Eric. I like Eric's uh, intros. This is uh, Eric uh, rightfully refers to me uh, by the right pronouns, which is queen. So Eric says, hail to the queen of the Q&A and for all us landlubbers of the Q&A, long may she reign. Yes, exactly. There, a lot of us are stuck on dry land. I happen to quite like dry land. It's fine. Uh, I don't like underwater. I don't like any of that stuff. No scuba for me. So do you think we'll be going back to lockdowns soon? I read two stories recently that make me think that will be attempted. A Telegraph article quoted a professor, David Halpern, that Britain had been drilled to accept lockdowns in future pandemics, according to the headline. In Breitbart, there's an article about the shocking rise of antibiotic-resistant infections in, the, in that country. Funny how Victoria Newland all but admitted we in the U.S. were funding biolabs in Ukraine, when will the U.S. government learn to stop funding bioweapons research or at the very least stop outsourcing it to the stupidest possible locations? Am I being paranoid in thinking that a new pandemic might just be around the corner and with the tacit approval of a decadent Western elite obsessed with population control? So, Eric, there is an awful lot in there. Um... I think that with lockdowns, because everybody rolled over so well and nicely and obediently with lockdowns um, for, for the majority uh, across the world, there's no, there's no question and I have no doubt that that will be pulled on us again. I think it's clear that they've already been discussing that. There were all kinds of like trial balloons about it too with... Um, um, what, it, what was it? Monkeypox that never really took off. And then um, uh, like the flu stuff and also the wildfires that were being blamed on climate change. Um, I remember seeing something from the Philadelphia Board of Education, I think, or um, anyway, some, somewhere in Pennsylvania where they said that because of the climate fire burnings, whatever, they were going to close schools and they were going to switch to remote learning again. So as a tactic, it worked uh, very well. And there's no doubt about that. It's going to, it's, that card is going to be played again uh, because it was successful. The reason's not going to matter. There's going to be all kinds of reasons why they're going to pull it out. Um, what else? Uh, in an article about the shocking rise of antibiotic resistant infection. I, I'm not so worried about that. Like I, I do remember seeing articles of that sort every once in a while, like haven't there been all these crazy scare articles about like antibiotics not being able to cover sexually transmitted diseases and there's like super gonorrhea and super syphilis and I just can't get too fussed about that. I still think for the majority of people in the world right now, antibiotics are treating infections and I think it's one of those scare tactic articles. That's my opinion, but I haven't seen too much about it. Um, in terms of like who funded what, the fact of the matter is that um, stupid people are making policy and it's just, it's dangerous and reckless. And this is all public information. It's not like it's being hidden really right now. It's all out in the open. And 
the bottom line is that really America, American taxpayers dollars, can you avoid the conclusion that this was the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, however, plandemic, scamdemic, whatever you want to call it. The research was funded by the United States of America. And yes, it happened in China, but all of these players are in cahoots with one another. They were in cahoots doing the research, which again, why do we even need such research? Like why? Nobody asked. None of us regular people have asked for that. We would like to live our lives and not be infected with weird crap. Um, so they're all in cahoots with one another. They were all in cahoots with one another in the lockdowns for the vaccine. Everybody in bed with one another for all of this stuff. They still are. They don't think they've done anything wrong. Ukraine is a very profitable war for so many people. It's all really crazy. I can't see the exit road from the UK, Ukraine stuff. And then, you know, you throw this Biden corruption and Hunter Biden and Burisma stuff into the mix. There's so many layers and it's so insane. So I think we're just going to see more and more of it until there's like, hopefully some adult in the room. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are really sick of Trump. But whether it's Trump or DeSantis, if God willing, there is another Republican in the White House at some point, which I am not necessarily convinced can ever happen again, just due to the corruption in your electoral system, my American friends. If there is, then maybe some of this stuff can get reined back. But I think a lot of it is like beyond the point of no return. So um, are you being paranoid Probably not. There's lots around the corner. There's not going to be any end of this. There's always going to be something else. And the really scary thing is how the digital world is um, is coinciding with all of it. So big tech and big pharma and the digital currencies and the digital IDs. Because this technology is so much a part of our life, it's like, let's put it this way, um, when there was the Nazi regime and and Pol Pot and all these other horrendous characters of history, Stalin and all their murderous activity. They did that with, um, you know, carrier pigeons and beginning radar technology and beginnings of mass destruction technology and um, wiretapping and invisible ink and all these other very primitive uh, technologies. They were not really linked digitally. And so the kind of control that private companies and governments exercise over our day-to-day -day life that that are sort of unescapable now is a whole other layer of terror and tyranny. So I, I feel so bad, you guys. It's like a beautiful day and I'm like so harsh <laughs> with all this downer stuff. But I think you have to be, you know, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. It's really, there's a lot of bad stuff brewing. There just, there won't be an end. So we always have to do what we can to protect ourselves and our loved ones on an, on an individual basis first and then expand your circle of care and your circle of fight to, to whoever else if you have leftover energy, leftover resources. So thank you, Eric, very much for that question and the comments. I don't think you're being paranoid at all. It's a little warm. I'm going to take a little sip of my water and then we're going to get on to some other questions and a whole bunch of other topics that have come through. And thank you all for listening. Really appreciate you tuning in. So let's uh, go to another topic. 
Thank you, Chris Davies, for writing in. Hello, Chris. Chris uh, says to us, Laura, welcome back to the hot seat. Thank you kindly, Chris. What is your view on Mark Zuckerberg's threads? Or should that be Twitter light? His record on free speech is lamentable. Elon Musk is no angel, but I'll take him with all his idiosyncrasies over Zuckerberg and his establishment propaganda. Keep well. That's a, a good... Um, a good thing to talk about, Chris. Thanks for raising that. I haven't signed up for threads myself, and I uh, definitely agree with you that I, I obviously, I, I don't love a huge amount of power being consolidated in any one person, even if I think that they're less crazy or less uh, worrisome than another, like between Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, obviously this is a tremendous amount of power that they, they yield. And I do, if I had to pick, I would pick Elon Musk over Mark Zuckerberg. I think Mark Zuckerberg is just absolutely gross. I'm not even sure if he's like a real human or if he's partially Android. Um, I'm, I think maybe he's a little bit more human now because he's been like wrestling or doing judo or something like that. So there's probably like a little bit more testosterone running through his veins instead of um, soy lattes. But um, regardless of his um, soy boy look and that baloney sweatshirt outfit shtick that he does everywhere, he's kind of like Zelensky with that stupid green camouflage t-shirt and army pants. Like it's he, he's like an actor as well. These people are acting and so many people fall for their baloney. Um, yeah, um, Mark Zuckerberg is like is a champion of data harvesting and selling information and shutting speech down. And he's not a good guy, no good track record. So I guess it's worth people may want to try this threads. But given Zuckerberg's record on free speech and all the censorship that happened happily with his company um, during uh, COVID and I think there's a lot of people who really can't freely post stuff. A lot of people who are still banned from these platforms. Um, and now, you know, with Instagram um, melding into Facebook and all this stuff, it's it, it's too much control. These are monopolies that I would love to see broken up in some way. So, yes, uh, Elon Musk, certainly no angel. But I agree with you, Chris, that um, I think he's doing a little bit better uh, than Mark Zuckerberg for sure. And Twitter's certainly more fun than it has been. Um, so that's a good thing, but yes, no angel. And, and with everything, I think it's like a respect and suspect situation. Okay. Let us go along now to Ken B. Hello, Ken B. Thank you for your question. Uh, Tucker Carlson granted his first interview today since being fired from Fox, appearing on Russell Brand's show on Rumble, Tucker's new show is on Twitter, Russell on Rumble, Mark on Stein Online. Uh, whoops, I just lost my train there. Is the mainstream media quickly becoming obsolete? That is a really interesting question. Thank you so much. I think you are right. Um, I think it was on... Mark was on uh, Megan Kelly's podcast, which is also really excellent. She's really amazing to listen to. She is so smart, smart as a tack, and her podcast is great. Um, I listen to it whenever I can. Uh, highly recommended. Anyways, when Mark was on with Megan Kelly, not this previous time, but one time before, they were discussing how at a certain point, 
if you really are committed to certain principles, you know, first principles, as Mark calls them, you get to a point where you, you feel that you can't say what you really want to say, and you can't talk about what you really want to talk about. There's a point at which you actually do have to go out on your own. And the most interesting people, in my opinion, now are certainly people who are doing things independently. So that's Mark and Megan Kelly, although I guess she's with a larger podcasting company, but I'm sure she's uh, got super duper editorial control and she's bringing in the audience. I mean, I think she has like a million subscribers on YouTube for her podcast. And that's amazing. It is so amazing. And Tucker as well, I think is um, really blazing a trail. So I definitely think that that's the way to go. I mean, look at Joe Rogan as well. So those are the interesting voices. And I also really like listening to Russell Brandt's uh, show. It's a little long. And also, I, I don't have time to listen or watch all the stuff that I'm interested in. I'm sure you guys have that same feeling where you get like different sub stacks and newsletters and there's so many things vying for our attention. So lately I've been trying to wean down, even though I'm a really fast reader, I try to wean down my reading list and my attention list and try not to get distracted too much. But certainly it's a, I think it's a really good sign. And if there were people who had any brains in these mainstream organizations, they would look at the writing on the wall and encourage um, independent voices and independent speakers. I mean, there, there certainly is a potential revenue stream there. Um, it's like, you know, with Substack, like people are willing to pay money for things that they are interested in and that they enjoy. If there's a good product, most people are happy to fork over the dough as long as it stays interesting and relevant. Um, they will support people that they find have value. So there is a good business contention in there. Um, it's certainly, and the people who are doing this are taking a great risk by going out on their own, but they seem, you know, I think we can say about these people who are doing the independent stuff is that they do have the first principles. They are, they're putting their money where their mouth is. They are unshackling themselves from corporate structures. They're doing it on their own. Um, wasn't there that song like <laughs> sisters are doing it for themselves? I know that we're talking about two very different things and doing it by yourself as we know, people say that that can cause blindness, but um, media wise, it's really amazing and it is interesting stuff. And so more power to all these people who are really courageous. And it's, it's so interesting to hear also their various um, intellectual evolutions on certain things. Uh, a lot of times I'm sitting and listening and it just, people will say stuff and they're like right in your ear because of a podcast and, and it really makes you think and it's so nice and it's very inspiring. So yes, long may all the independents reign. Um, they obviously are incredibly courageous and intellectual people. And it, it'll be really interesting to see what uh, Tucker Carlson does if Twitter works out for him. I hope so. And um yeah, that's the, that's the way of the future. And my only worry right now is making sure that the people who are doing these things, I guess they have some of them, you know, have the economic clout now to make sure that they don't actually just get bounced off the internet. So that's the real worry is, is there going to be um, internet space and hosting for people whose ideologies and whose opinions are not mainstream? That, that's a real problem. I mean, we're seeing, you know, as Mark pointed out, uh, Nigel Farage 
uh, like welcome to the club of being unperson, deperson, debanked. <laughs> How does it feel to be a Canadian trucker, Mr. Farage? How does it feel to be a Tommy Robinson, a Katie Hopkins, a Milo Yiannopoulos? Again, not the most savory characters. Some people in these roles of leadership of various causes, as I wrote in my column, they do have warts and all. But as Mark said, if you don't defend the, the crackpot ones, everybody's just going to end up under the bus and it's a really bad situation. So hopefully um, access to just being on the internet, I think is one thing that I hope smarter people than me are thinking about because that is a real a real danger. I mean, if you have this great material and then you can't actually get it onto the internet because other people are controlling all the gates to the internet, that's going to be a real problem. I mean, it's already hugely terrifying when, if you saw Katie Hopkins on Mark's show talking about how she can't have a bank account, how her children have different uh, last names from her so that they can actually still be enrolled in school, that she can't hold a mortgage in her name. This is really totalitarian stuff. And like I told you, it's like, this would have been like Stalin and Hitler's wet dream to have the technological control and the digital control that regular companies and shifty, gross politicians and the elites have over day-to-day -day functions. It's a whole new level of control. So a lot of this has to be outsmarted and people are a little bit behind the curve in um, picturing you know, what the next thing is going to be. So I remember like Kat, when Kathy Shadle was alive, she would always talk about how irritating it was when conservatives were like coming up with brand new news aggregate websites for conservatives. And she was like, what all these idiots should have been doing 10, 15 years ago was building their own Facebook. It's too late for that now. And she was right. Um, none of the challengers to Facebook's primacy uh, have, have done any good. Nobody's thought that big. I do think that that ship has sailed. So hopefully people are thinking, like I said, a little bit bigger, at least than my uppity Jewish mom brain can handle. But that's definitely something that I think about and that I worry about. What if you just can't get online? It's a huge problem. Okay, another little sip for me. And then we are going to carry on. It is now, we're about halfway through our lovely Q&A session. And once again, thank you guys all for joining me. Um, and I actually can't wait to hear from people. If anybody's listening from the cruise, if the Wi-Fi is okay, maybe you guys can uh, send some photos, let us know what's going on there. Looking forward to hearing from everybody about how that's going. Okay, let's go back to your questions. We have Suzanne Rennie, or Rennie? Rennie. Wishing all the cruisers a bon voyage, especially Mark Stein. What's your take on the ever-changing White House cocaine story? Was it set up by some random visitor of a, or maybe a dropped bag by the first son? Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much, Suzanne, for your kind Sabbath greetings. I do very much appreciate that. And yes, of course, bon voyage to everybody who is on the ship right now. I imagine that they're sailing right now. Maybe it's dinner, maybe it's drinks. Uh, let's talk about, yes, cocaine at the White House, white lines at the White House. Isn't it a creepy uh, train wreck of a story like so many that are coming out? I don't really have a huge take on, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny that it's supposed to be like completely, totally normal now. Like, 
oh, there was coke discovered at the White House. No problem. No big deal. No nothing. Don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. And they cannot figure out where this one. They need like Inspector Clouseau to figure it out. Um, the best comment that I saw on Twitter about this was, so let me get this straight. They cannot find the January 6th FBI tapes, can't find any of that stuff, can't really find out what happened in Wuhan, in not Wuhan, oh my God, Wuhan, China, can't figure that out, don't know, no idea. And, you know, we can't figure out the cocaine. However, um, we can certainly figure out who of you is not vaccinated. We can certainly uh, arrest a shaman. We can certainly get the IRS to investigate you with guns drawn. We know exactly what beer you drink or don't. We know who you've been talking to because we have all your phone pings, etc., etc., etc. So uh, I think it's a little bit weird, obviously. And I'm just waiting for some more information to come out about it. Let's see what happens. It's a little bit early to call it. It's kind of funny in a train wreck way. And it's the, the best part is like this Twitter comment, just figuring out what are the things that can be investigated and found out? And what are the things that are just impossible to figure out? I think that's the main thing that we have to be looking at. All right, let us see what else we've got here. Uh, we've got... Alyssa Angel. Alyssa says, Hi, Laura. Is Macron's plan to blame social media for the French riots so that he can later block social media under the guise that it is a public safety measure? If so, do you suppose that could be part of a globalist scheme to take over all aspects of mass communication? Is social media versus corporate media the last facet of mass communication left to be controls. It's a given in my hypothesis that corporate media is controlled by government regulators and or globalist schemers. Alyssa, thank you so much for that question. There is a lot to unpack there as well. Um, basically, I, I think that it is a really terrible thing uh, that Macron has blocked access to information about the riots, trying to do this COVID thing on information coming out of there, trying to shape a narrative that clearly has a lot of holes in it. The stories that are coming out about the reasons why is this happening in France? Very hard to get to the bottom of some of this stuff, right? And it's because there's really no silver lining to the story. There's going to be no happy ending here. Um, these riots, and I believe that we can actually call it the the French Intifada or the French Jihad, uh, this is a result of many decades of bringing essentially third world, unskilled, low-skilled, no-skilled uh, immigrants from and refugees from Muslim countries from North Africa and other places into France and having the expectation or or maybe not maybe maybe they just maybe these elites knew that this could never work but they wanted to simply overwhelm and ruin ruin the country um there's no chance that these people can be assimilated at all and the roots of this if you guys want a little bit of background 
I would actually advise you reading some material by the, I think she was Egyptian Swiss Jewish woman historian called Bat Yeor. That's her pen name. Um, but she talked about when these arrangements started to take place, the population shift, who, who was governing these um, transfers of populations from the West, from former French colonies into France, obviously without there being anything reciprocal happening. So um, it, France, even a few years ago, I remember hitting a demographic tipping point, which was about 10%. Um, I'll, I'll look up some of the more recent demographic information. But you know, once you get to that point, it's, uh, it's, it, it's a point of no return, really. So Fra uh, France's Macron is um, looking for kind of like a band-aid solution, which is going to fail. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that's like leaking out anyways. And it's a very immature reaction. It's like a Trudeau thing. These guys are sort of birds of a feather. So the stories are going to get out. Um, do I think that it is a public safety measure? I don't think anybody's buying that. I think like there are certain times where people are so stupid about what they post on the internet or on Twitter that sometimes people have to be like vocally or uh let's say reprimanded in a social media post. Like I, I think I've seen posts previously, like even here in Canada where there's like an active crime scene and people, or in Israel too, like people are reporting on something and it's like the army and the special services will say, can you please stop tweeting the location of like some of our guys or whatever? Like in that case, I think that it's reasonable to hope for some like radio silence so that you can get the bad guys. But this kind of request is not realistic and it's not um, helpful and it's, going to fail and France is really in big trouble um, there's just no return demographically from the situation so uh, I, I know we do have quite a few um, listeners and members of the Mark Stein Club who who are either French or or ex, expats so if you feel like dropping us a line and letting us know what's going on the ground there that would be really helpful um, whether it's part of a like a globalist scheme certainly the mass immigration from the third world into western countries is not accidental or a, a coincidence it's all very plotted and calculated and it's happening at a very rapid rate here in canada for sure i've mentioned previously that canada's population went up by about a million people over the past year and it was not natural growth not babies of people who are already here it's immigrants oops sorry about that um, and so what we're going to have to do is try to have a like a kind of a detente situation in France, but it has certainly reached the boiling point and it's not going to get better. It's it's going to get worse. And I really fear I fear for France and I fear for a lot of Western Europe. Um, I don't I don't really see a silver lining here. I, again, I feel so bad that I'm like the downer. I, I'm sorry, guys, but uh, I got to call it the way I see it. And hopefully we can have some like warm, fluffy bunny kind of um, kind of topics coming up. Uh, I don't see any yet, but feel free if you if you have anything frivolous that you want to talk about. We'll, we'll get to those as well. So let's move along. Um, we have a question now. Okay, we're, we're going to move into the Middle East a little bit now. We have a question from Richard Lewis. Thank you, Richard. Hi, Laura. I read the article you posted about Benjamin Netanyahu 
and how the left has been after him for years, uh, the left in Israel, obviously. How can they get away with this? Doesn't he have a majority government now? So thanks for that question, the Israel question. And basically, uh, I'll refer you guys, I posted in the links uh, a couple days ago, an article written by Caroline Glick, who's obviously fabulous, a big girl crush of mine. She's just always so on top of it, has such a great strategic mind, excellent at these um, big picture Middle East and U.S. relations questions. And she wrote a, a, a wonderful uh, explanatory essay about what the Israeli left has managed to do to, to, to Bibi Netanyahu over the past few years, purposely bringing Israel to the boiling point, to the point of almost a civil war. And they're happy to keep doing so with all these fake charges against him. Um, they really rigged a lot of the systems. Now, a lot of the systems in Israel, like education, the media, um, the arts, television, journalism, etc. And unfortunately, even a lot of the elite army units and the hires up in command of the IDF are ideologically very much on the left. Um, it's very bad. And a lot of the police have been corrupted into a left wing ideology as well. And um, for starters, what they did in order to try to nail Bibi Netanyahu on some fake corruption slash bribery stuff, the attorney general and another guy, I can't remember his name now, but they expanded the definition of like bribery and corruption and like getting favors while in public office. It was the broadest definition on the planet, possibly for, um, for getting favors as a politician. Again, I'd refer you to the article. If you read the article, you'll really get a sense of the scope of how evil this stuff has been. Um, and even Alan Dershowitz wrote an article about how he'd basically never seen anything like it anywhere in the world. So they tried to expand the scope of corruption to including getting favorable coverage from news outlets and understand, <coughs> excuse me, that news outlets in Israel for the most part, hate BB. They hate left winger, uh, right wingers. They hate people who are of like um, Eastern Mizrahi or Sephardi origin. They consider them, um, you know, sort of barbarians. There's a lot of um, Ashkenazi sort of European background snobbery in Israel. And this is what they started with. And this is what they were going with. And it's been going on for years. And as a result, in the media, they ran with it and basically tried to brainwash people on mass media that he was corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. He got cigars. He wanted favorable coverage. There was nothing there. There was literally nothing there. They kept trying. And a lot of the Israeli government systems, like the way things are set up in Israel, um, it's a bit of a mess, like the laws. And for some reason, they're stuck with these horrendous attorney generals who veer left politically and um, they can't get rid of them. So there's a, a big mess going on in Israel. And what I would want you guys to take away is how successful the Israeli left has been with this conglomeration of organizations, all of the public sector stuff, all the journalists, everybody working together. It's so similar to what was being attempted with Trump. So it's very bad. And I think we're going to see more of it. So if you read this article, you'll see that there's a very, again, it's not accidental. 
everything is coordinated, everything is planned out, it's extensive, there's no point at which any of the leaders, and, and this includes in Israel, like former prime minister and decorated um, chief of staff Ehud Barak, who now we know had some connection with um, Jeffrey Epstein as well. And also there's like a very, a very sus connection with a lot of um, chiefs of staff in Israel to the Wexler Foundation. I might write about that a little bit in the future, but very weird stuff. So they're all working together and they don't care if there's scorched earth beneath their feet. They are willing, they are cutting off their noses, i.e. the state of Israel, to spite their faces and they, they don't care if it all goes down in flames. And so the lesson is they've been relatively successful in Israel doing this. They, they could not get Netanyahu to quit. He's not quitting and he does have a majority government, but the same tactics are being applied um, to Trump and to anybody else who tries um, to be a non-leftist uh, politician in any Western country. It's going to be the same playbook exactly, the exact same playbook. Um, so we have to be really on our toes and try to fight against this however we can. Again, not what you can't, but what, what you can't. And to recognize patterns. We need to really recognize patterns. And it's ironic because... Israel in so many ways is like a, a laboratory for some of these bad things like the Palestinian terrorist tactics that are tested in Israel. And then sometimes people are like, oh, it's just Jews. It's just Israelis, blah, blah, blah. But then it starts to happen elsewhere in the world um, at a rapid pace. So that's why I always say like none of this stuff is just about the Jews, quote unquote. It, it, it just it starts with us and then it goes elsewhere. So watch what's happening in Western countries with the tactics that were tried and sort of perfected in Israel, the mass demonstrations and everything. Um, these people all speak to one another. Uh, they fund one another. So please be aware and, and look for patterns. So thank you, Richard, for that question. I think this would be normally about the time where Mark does a musical interlude. Uh, and I've said before, you guys, it's like, it's so great to talk to you. Um, I've had uh, some email exchanges with some of you personally, so I've met some of you on a previous cruise. It's really awesome. And one thing that I think just is so hard to get across. And when you are such a natural like Mark Stein uh, and like Rush Limbaugh was, you just don't realize what it's like to be sort of talking by yourself for I'm only doing this for an hour, you guys, and they do it all the time. And Mark, especially what he's gone through, I, I cannot understand where he gets the strength and the stamina. God bless him and keep him well. And hopefully he's feeling good as as they're sailing. Um, I'm not complaining. This is a super awesome gig. And I am so, so honored to be sitting in the hot seat. But like, it's hot. I'm like feeling, I don't know, I'm like a woman of a certain age. And it's kind of like hot. So I'm going to take a little bit more of my water. One sec hope you will forgive me and we're going to take a few more questions it is about quarter to four eastern time so we have time for a few more all right let's go um we've got jackie matthews who says laura you've previously mentioned that you think we are at the beginning of the end of the trans craze do you still feel this way what do you think are some of the signs of this because i'm feeling rather discouraged about it all 
Yeah, I think that there's a growing recognition about how dangerous and evil this is and how far this ideology or cult has permeated all of our lives. Um, it's very, very scary stuff. But the actual damage is being, uh, it's more public now. Some of the, f the stories are coming out with the gruesome details. And as that's happening, as people get the courage to tell their stories, and as hospitals are exposed and doctors are exposed, and as these poor young detransitioners are finding the courage to tell their stories, those are floodgates that can't be closed again. You cannot unsee and you cannot unhear a lot of this stuff. So that's what I think the good part of it is. Um, that's why I feel like we're sort of at the beginning of the end of it. And I do also think that there is a language hijacking problem that has to be addressed, which is even if you think of this phrase, um, gender affirming care, we should never really use that language. It's like mastectomy on young children. It's or, or be more graphic, like I think I've heard Mark use the phrase, slicing off the breasts of pubescent girls. We have to not use their language, and that also helps in the battle. So I can't stomach a lot of this stuff on a regular basis, but the stuff that I do read um, gives me a little bit of hope because the the amount of money that is involved and the damages that are being done and the fact that it's irreversible, that is coming to light. So I think that anytime we see a story that shows such courage, people um, whistleblowing on this stuff, either from within a clinic or a hospital or people talking about what they experienced in order to try to save other people, that's the kind of time where we should be amplifying those stories to use like social media speak, talking to people about it, sharing it. A lot of people who aren't on social media, they don't really know the extent of how how bad it is and how young children are as they're being exposed to this in schools like and stuff like that. So anything that we can lend individually and collectively to fighting this horrendous evil, um, we've got to do that. So that's kind of where I'm at with all the trans stuff. And thanks for mentioning it. It's a tough, it's a tough, tough subject. And uh, a lot of the times, even though I'm sort of jaded about news stuff, I, I don't have the wherewithal to, uh, to post and to read a lot of this stuff. Okay, let's see. What do we have here? Oh, God. Okay, thank you. Jeff has a question that is a little bit more lighthearted. Thank you, Jeff. Um, Mark is a great lover of music and movies. Speaking of which, oh, queen of the Q&A, do you play an instrument or sing? What movies or TV do you enjoy? That's a nice question. Um, I'm very much into music, listening mostly now. Um, I do have a history of playing the bass, the double bass in high school and in university. And then I played bass guitar as well. Um, I was in the jazz choir and I still do love to sing. Um, yeah, I, I love music. I love all kinds of music. I like old school rock. I like hip hop. I like classical. Um, 
yeah, I feel like I need to reappreciate music at a lot of points during the day. Um, I should put music on in the background in the house more, but yeah, love music, love singing. Maybe we'll get the band together one day. Thanks for that question. Oh, TV and movies. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV actually, but I've seen a few good things on Netflix. Um, I could recommend, I, I'm sure most of you have seen like Fauda by this point. Um, there's another good Israeli series that I just adored, but I'm not sure where to find it now or to stream it. It's called, um, Shtisel. You got to give it a little bit of a chance. You got to give it past like the first episode, but it's a wonderful, wonderful series. Um, what else did I, I watched the Jewish matchmaker, uh, on Netflix recently. I thought it was pretty funny, cute. And I had watched Indian matchmaker and a lot of times Mr. C and I watch Israeli shows I think that they're better written than most of the American stuff slash crap nowadays. I don't have a lot of time for that. And so if I have spare time, I'm mostly reading and mostly books. Um, yeah, usually a combination of like history, nonfiction and like really crappy historical novels or like really pulpy, stupid stuff to just give my brain a, a break. Thank you, Jeff, for that question. Okay, moving along and oh wow, there's like a, like a flood now. Okay. I'll I'll do these ones sort of quick because we've only got about like 10 minutes ish right now. Um Richard Green wrote, this week the movie Laura, this week the movie of Sound and Freedom topped all July 4th openings including the latest Indiana Jones movie. They sold more tickets even though it was released in only 2600 theaters with while the Jones movie was released in 4,000 theaters. The movie was in large part crowdfunded by people who want to see movies with more important subject matter done in a manner more in line with their view of the truth. Do you think this marks a change in how movies are produced and will Hollywood take notice or just double down on their movie subjects and production system? I don't know. It's like you just wonder, are they interested in the bottom line or do they really not care and they're willing to spend a ton of money on all this crap just to get that ideological crap out there? I think it's more the latter. Like there's there's enough evidence now of movies that are um, uh, gearing towards people's actual interests, like Mel Gibson's stuff and movies like this, The Sound of Freedom, that there is an audience, there is an appetite, but the big studios are very, very trapped in the woke. I mean, a lot of them have gotten backlash for some of the woke versions of classics that have bombed miserably. And I'm not like a big movie person. I can just comment generally on this stuff. So do I think they're going to take notice? I'm sure they are noticing. The question is like how much money of other people's money or their own money they're willing to waste on this. And are is it is it that they're ideologically committed to this stuff so they don't care about the losses? Or will they have to start thinking about serving their shareholders and the people who want to make money instead of lose money. I guess that, you know, it remains to be seen. Um, let's see, Jeff Johnson, query from the prisoner of Windsor, 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 Colorado, I guess you are. This week, the press reported on Biden considering the dimming of the atmosphere to mitigate anthropologic global warming, climate change here. The dimming of the atmosphere is already being conducted using chemtrails. Is this occurring in Canada and elsewhere? So this is just the dumbest stuff. I mean, these people like Joe Biden cannot even tie his shoes and they're telling us that he can dim the planet. Do you understand how dumb this is? So just uh, act accordingly. This is so dumb. Uh, Joe Biden can't remember what day of the week it is, but he can definitely control the sun and the moon and the stars. That's the arrogance of these people or 
just how stupid they think we are to believe this crap. So I don't know too much about this chemtrail stuff, but I can tell you that whatever these arrogant humans think that they can do or are pretending or trying to convince us that they can do, it's all a bunch of hooey. So there. So there, Jeff. Okay, let's see what else we got here. We've got Fran. Hi, Fran. Hi, Laura. I'm happy you're not freezing anymore. And I love your daughter's new word creation of schmoiling for all discomfort from the heat. It's perfect. <clears throat> uh, thank you, whatever. You're welcome, Fran. Fran is just describing that there's like too many links in a week to get to. Um, let's see. Oh, yes. She mentions um, Naomi Wolf's experience in the hospital in America. If you guys get a chance, um, also check out in the human grace section of the links this week. Um, I also posted a story, um, first person from Naomi Wolf's um, Substack about her experience in the hospitals in America and how her husband basically came to the rescue. She was in very bad shape. It's really scary. So um, guys, take a look at that and um, I'll see if maybe there's any updates, but she was also treated very badly. This is all very, very scary stuff. Like we have this idea that... Um, medical people it's like first do no harm etc etc but these people are doing a lot of harm and there's nobody who can kind of stop them they're they're very small-minded people obviously with um an extraordinary amount of power and that's really dangerous stuff and if they don't like the way you think or maybe it's they're not gonna like the way you dress and they might not like the way that you speak or that you have a lisp or i don't know what all these criteria these gatekeepers of medical care having all this power over us is, is really, really terrifying. I got no answers. Um, but thank you, Fran, for your kindness. And I will certainly relay to my daughter that you like the word schmoiling. That's guys, that's the word that my uh, daughter made up to describe when it's really, really, really boiling. It's also schmoiling. Uh, let's go. Okay. I think we can fit in a couple more. We've got, uh, Simon Arnold, Hi, Laura. 18 years ago, the first of many terrorist attacks was unleashed in the UK, but instead of increasing national security, we seem to be removing it. The NHS celebrates 75 years this year. The far superior pre-NHS was a loss. Oh, I'm pleased that Mark is finally having his cruise. So, yes, um, things are much less safe and... I, again, my my best explanation is actually something that I frequently steal from Mark's GB News uh, colleague, uh, Neil Oliver, who said that the explanation is, is the simplest one, that when things are happening in your country, it's because people want things to be happening to you. They want this stuff to be happening. That's the explanation. So if things are more dangerous, it's because the people who control policy and control the purse strings of the nation... They want that to be happening. It's it's uh, certainly disturbing. And I also fear that our votes are not counting for much um, lately. So even if you want to get out the vote and get things uh, changed, like what happened to Brexit? You know, what what happened really in the 2020 election? Everything's very corrupt. And even when you put your efforts and your money and your time into voting people out they tend to be more dragged to the the left and wanting to be in the popular crowd which makes me think that you know anybody who's conservative or even contrarian you kind of have to start off way 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 to the right because you're going to be dragged 
um, to the more squishy lefty middle. So yeah, I agree with you. Look at in Britain, the NHS system, it's just absolutely, it's a bust. It's really bad. I feel so bad about all the people who were clapping for carers. There's a lot of really sadistic people running policy in the NHS. I, uh, there's stuff that we haven't really discussed much um, and haven't written about, but um, Majid uh, Nawaz, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I just mangled his name, but <clears throat> he was talking about the pathways, basically pathways to like death that were um, done to elderly people and other people in the NHS on purpose, like using all these drugs and midazolam and stuff like that. There's a lot that we still don't know. And there's a lot of hastening of death and a lot of like these really dark forces. So um, yeah, I, I don't have any solutions. I don't really have any great suggestions as to where people can avoid these things. Um, there's, there's some good comments um, in the links about people's various healthcare experience. So that might be a topic that we revisit at some point um, down the road. It's really, really scary stuff. So yeah, if anybody listening now hasn't already seen the um, or listened to Mark's Q&A from last week, have a listen uh, and then go into the comments and see what happened to Mark with um, a blood transfusion that he needed. And you know, on a personal note, I have had experience with my hemoglobin dropping that much. I lost a lot of blood um, on death's door, actually, after I had an emergency C-section when um, my special needs son was born. Uh, really scary touch and go. And I remember, um, you know, not being able to walk. And I didn't have a transfusion. Um, I think I actually refused it in my stupor and then just like doubled down on the chopped liver and iron pills and stuff like that. But yeah, I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair for a while as well. It's a horrendous, scary thing. And to think that that medical person who, you know, is bound to take care of people was pronouncing pretty much a death sentence on Mark is um, so horrifying and so scary. Like, actually, I'm shaking about it, even thinking about it, because all these people have way much to... to too much, way, way too much control over people and, um, you know, having insurance and having the constitution and having weapons, obviously that just doesn't help too much when you have these, um, systems set up in this way. So I'm going to be, uh, we're going to be wrapping this stuff up. If there's things that we didn't get to and you posted a comment, um, really feel free to either shoot me an email or add some more, comments in the comment section even after we've signed off and I'll definitely uh, try to get to them or maybe even address them in the links and like I said the main thing is that the cruise has uh, set sail hoping that everybody has a great time please keep your prayers focused for good health for everybody who needs it um, including yeah some people in my my own family if you guys could share a prayer um for my dad, who's going through some health stuff and other issues that we're dealing with, I would really appreciate those prayers. And um, we're going to sign off now. It's a little bit after four. And it was a pleasure being with you guys. And have a great weekend. Hope that you were as entertained as I was honored. And uh, looking forward to hearing your feedback and your comments as always. Take care. And we'll see you again soon here on the live Q&A. Thanks, guys.
Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.